As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to this podcast, Season 4, Episode 12. My name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mystery Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. And we're also joined by the home of the Kraken, Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Are you cracking? Are you cracking, Jaime? Cracking, 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 waiting for um, uh, October 12th, taking on the, the Vegas Golden Knights. The, uh, the season opener and then home opener is the 23rd of October against Vancouver. I thought in the spirit of your, uh, of your new favorite sporting franchise, I was thinking, you know, if Jaime's going to get himself a jersey, what could he get on the jersey? Sometimes you get a player name and number, sometimes you just leave it blank. And then I saw who was the star of the first preseason game for the Kraken, and I was like, that's it. That's the winner. Who's that? His name is Geeky. G-E-E-K-I-E, Geeky. And I was like, that kind of fits us, you know? I think that works. That's a, that's a good one. It's a yep. really good one. It's on point. I actually looked at I looked at the t-shirts and stuff. I like the little S thing. That's kind of cool. Yeah, the logos. I really like the the home ones. I'm not I'm not as wild about the the whites, but I love the darks, the blues. Those are great. It's a slick look. I, again, I like them. I gotta say, it's funny because I I had no investment when they had uh, introduced the Golden Knights and they've done this expansion over the years. I really felt no affection or or real interest in those they've always seemed really obscure but i enjoyed my time in seattle and uh I, i gotta admit i got i already have a little soft spot for them were you visiting darren when you were doing that or just yeah i went out to darren for uh darren in seattle for his wedding and uh there with all my friends and had a really great time and toured around a little bit and yeah what a beautiful place it rained because you know of course it rained yeah i went there for ios conferences mm. Stayed in the Edgewater Hotel, where the Beatles apparently fished out the out the windows of the hotel. <laughs> well, it used to be a cannery, I think, down there or something like that, right? Anywho, and of course, you know, native of of uh, Seattle, uh, Jaime Lopez has no idea what we're talking about. All right, native, <laughs> not native. I moved here. Well, El Paso native, are you not? That's true. 
Semantics, come on. <laughs> He's more native than you or I are. That's that's fair. Anyway, we're, we're, we're just tourists. He can claim everything south of the 49th parallel. It's all his. Yeah. All right. Okay, so let's get on with this show here. Oh, with the show, this is it. Um, fact check. Start off with the fact check. So Mike McDonald is the other comedian I was thinking about who was quite ill over the last few years, but I think he passed away a couple of years ago. But you, you know Mike McDonald, right? Yep. Jonathan? Yep, yep. Yeah, he, he was, was great. I own. think I saw him do stand-up at one point. Yeah, really. Back in the day. Yeah, I used to be on TV all the time and stuff like that, and different TV shows and things. But um, And Road to Perdition was the name of the movie we couldn't remember that mm. Tom Hanks stars in, where, you know, he's a he's a henchman, and he's his son sees him henching, and uh, has to find out about his dad's work and stuff. And I haven't seen that whole movie either, but, but that was apparently... Yep, and that's based on a graphic novel, too. One. Is it? Yep. Oh, there you go. Indeed. Cool. All righty. So let's head into the headlines, and back on the headlines, we've got Dorville. Dorville! Well, kids, we've talked about it, we've joked about it, we finally know when the Orville is coming back, and it is coming back with a new name. Uh, Hulu announced this week that the next chapter of the uh, Adventures of the Orville... The Orville colon New Horizons is coming on March 10th, 2022 to Hulu in the U.S. Uh, what that means for us here in Canada, I'm not sure yet. I don't know if that means that it's coming to Disney Plus because that's where we tend to get our Hulu content. But uh, yeah, apparently the date is the 10th of March. So... That's a long gap between seasons. Hopefully, people who were into it will will come back. Um, I mean, nowhere to go from nowhere to go but up, from my perspective. But I guess we'll see. It's interesting that it gets the uh, New Horizons subtitle, which makes me wonder if it will be considered. Uh, you know, we'll we'll know it's a third season, but I wonder if it's going to be considered a new series. See what the. Um, the UI says, you know, is it going to say season three, episode one, or is it going to say season one, episode one? Like, you know, for weird legal reasons, does it move from Fox over to uh, Hulu? Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be, you know, a little sort of a soft reboot. They're going to push forward a little bit, you know, hey, this much time has also passed for them and you have to sort of catch up with the characters or, or where they're going to sort of go with it. If it's just going to be like, hey, remember last week? <laughs> right why do we all look so much older yeah hmm. speaking of debut days we also know when we're going to finally see the much anticipated book of boba fett on disney plus the uh limited series that is coming to uh follow up on the events of season two of the mandalorian is coming on december 29th 2021 so just on the edge of of making it this year uh we will get our deeper look into uh the ongoing adventures of boba fett now as a long time uh star wars fan long time boba fett fan i'm really excited that we're finally going to have something that you know rumors for years that they were talking about doing a boba fett movie they were talking about doing you know spin-offs tv shows i think it's interesting that we are uh, how they're, you know, obviously they did sort of a backdoor pilot at the end of the Mandalorian season. I think it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Hopefully it will, 
look back as well. We'll get the story of how he got out of the Sarlacc, where, you know, sort of what his agenda is now that he's he's sort of back. He's We saw him, obviously, uh, at the end of Mandalorian Season 2. We saw him taking the place on the throne of Jabba the Hutt on Tatooine. I'm uh, I'm really curious to see where they go with this series and, and what it all means. Wasn't Attack of the Clones of a Boba Fett movie? Oh, that was Jango Fett. <laughs> yes and Sorry. yes. I mean, both characters that you stated there are in that movie. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you don't want to talk about uh, something different of like, will they, will they go with like a, a, a baby hut? You know, if people call it baby Jabba as incorrectly as baby Yoda. But uh, yeah. you know, keep that uh, keep that money train going for the merchandise. Yeah, I bet you that there's there's plenty coming. Actually, I did see a friend of mine is a collector of uh, these these very very detailed uh, models called Hot Toys, and they make these super 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 realistic um, figures based on popular characters across a whole bunch of different uh, properties. Uh, Marvel characters and and um, and superheroes and everything else, and I saw the Hot Toys version of of Boba Fett, which is modeled after his current look with the black sleeves and and sort of from the Mandalorian, and it looks fantastic. But those figures are around three hundred dollars each. Wow. Now again, they are they come with like multiple head sculpts, multiple hand sculpts, you know, uh, stands and stuff like that for them to be displayed on. Like these are real collector's pieces uh, and again as somebody i've known for a long time has dozens of them as, as a collection and they look amazing like they are so bang on they look the ones that have like facial sculpts look exactly like the people they're modeled after it is uncanny mm. and the costumes are perfect and the you know the accessories are perfect and 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 and, and. but uh holy moly they're expensive mm. yeah i looked them up because I was not familiar with the line, and I saw the King Shark Nanawe one from uh, the Suicide Squad, and it's like two hundred and thirty dollars. Yeah, on some site, but it looks really good. The sculpt is super good, super they, accurate. They really are. If you have time to go down the rabbit hole, they've been out for many years, and as I say, some of them, like the Star Wars ones and and uh, the superhero ones, are incredible. Like the ones that are modeled after characters from the MCU and stuff are just yeah, they are bang on exactly like they've just stepped out of one of those movies but again mm. you really have to want to have them and beyond that again if you decide oh i really like the star wars ones and want to get like the original cast or whatever you like you're in for a serious commitment mm. it's like how I many do you remember that doll that somebody did of Je of steve jobs which was very realistic like this and i think apple put a kibosh on it yeah i do remember something like that that came out right probably around the time he died i would guess yeah, well, yeah, and he had it had like you could get it with like an iPad. He came with an iPad and different, you know, yeah, same sort of idea. And it was like realistic, like this too, John. And but yeah, I think uh, they they never got out of the Kickstarter sort of phase. Yeah, they I think I cool. think there's been an effort, especially now that you can do you know digital scanning and all these different technologies. Oh, yeah. I'm sure these are being employed by this this company, uh, but they are hitting it out of the park. These are exceptional quality collector's pieces. Mm hmm. Well, even some of the fantasy stuff, like the, you know, the Predator and stuff like that as well. They're kind mm -hmm, of cool. mm -hmm. really good looking. Yeah. They are, again, they're pretty incredible. So just the level of detail at that scale is is it's pretty neat. Hmm. 
moving cool. on and and still talking about the Disneyverse. So Disney uh, made what some people online are taking a little exception to a, a questionable move this week by suing to keep the complete rights to all of its characters. Now, that probably sounds obvious until you start getting into the, the facts of the case. So this has happened a bunch of different times over the past 40-plus years where creators of all these famous characters have, you know, gone back and tried to seek improved compensation for creating intellectual property that has gone on to be used beyond the medium they created them for. And the line from Marvel slash Disney on a lot of these fronts has always been, you know, we paid you, it was contract work, we paid you for what you did, you accepted the terms at the time, you can't come back afterwards and say you want more, you want, you know, you want the rights back because they're your characters, because you created them, you know, these are... You know, these are ours now. Basically, they're our toys. They're in our toy box. You can't you can't play with them anymore. Well, they were trying to basically invalidate a bunch of copyright uh, termination notices that they were getting from different creators who were trying to basically do that, trying to leverage either, you know, some get the characters rights back or and or at least leverage enough pressure onto the organization to get proper compensation so this case that they're talking about, uh, we have a, a link to a New York Times piece here where, uh, so Lawrence Lieber is, is uh, being one of the people who is, uh, is trying to sue to get his intellectual uh, rights to these characters. That's uh, Mr. Lieber is Stan Lee's older brother, uh, and he was um, a writer back in the day and a creator for uh, Marvel back in the 1960s. The uh, lawyer that is representing this group is also representing the estates of other creators, including Steve Ditko, famously the artist who created the look of Spider-Man. Uh, Don Heck, uh, also uh, another famous Marvel creator, and uh, Don Rico and Gene Colan as well. So these are related to characters that they created, including some some you might have heard of, like Doctor Strange, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Captain Marvel, Falcon, Blade, uh, and the Wizard. These are, you know, pretty popular characters, the Wizard notwithstanding, although, you know, I suppose he could pop up at some point as a villain in a, in a book. But it's an interesting case where they're basically saying, you know, uh, you know, they're tired of having to fight off these kinds of claims, and so they're trying to basically go after these people and say, you know, hey, there's, you're not getting anything more from this, you know, you can't do anything about it, move on. And it's particularly interesting in the case of some of these because it is the estates that are fighting for this. So, you know, famously, there have been a few cases over the years where, you know, there were some creators who weren't as interested in in opening these cases back up, but now that their estates own their uh, intellectual property rights, they're now members of their estates going after these huge corporations saying, well, what you did or, or how you did business back in the day was not proper in my view. I would like you to compensate us. So anyway, good article, interesting case. I will be watching. I find these cases really interesting. It's a really uh, unusual circumstance and it, and it has happened over the years uh, multiple times. 
these cases have led to some real changes in the way that comic companies operate. A lot of creators now are getting uh, more latitude as far as ownership of characters they create. Although, you know, I I don't know if that's necessarily true if you work for Marvel or DC in particular, because obviously those are parts of huge corporations. But a lot of creators are going to places like Image Comics or Dark Horse or independent publishers because from there they can own 100% of their rights and then they can sell them to whomever they like and then they can license their characters to do whatever they want. So for an example of that, you could look at Mark Miller, who famously did the um, Jupiter's Legacy that was on Netflix. He's done, you know, he basically, he sold his catalog of his own creations to Netflix for Netflix to develop because he owned the rights because he never gave up the rights to those things. So as I say, so this is, this is the, the story that the like Marvel and Disney are suing these to keep these properties or they're basically suing to have these cases that they're being brought against them invalidated. They're basically suing so oh, that these okay. cases will be thrown out so that all of these people that are coming after them, for these uh, rights and or uh, nullifications and or compensation will basically be told, uh, go jump in a lake. But interesting, interesting case. And again, this is this has come up multiple, multiple times over the years for people who created things as work for hire. Obviously, times have changed dramatically when these people were working on this. You know, comics were in a lot of circumstances considered uh, a ghetto of of creative arts. You know, Stan Lee changed his name so that he can put his name on the books. You know, these are, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, these were not uh, glamorous positions. I I remember interviewing um, uh, Art Spiegelman, the... um, creator of um, Mouse, one of the most famous, the Pulitzer Prize winning um, comic book. And he said, you know, I used to go into bars and tell girls I was a plumber because there was no way I was going to pick up a girl if she knew that I drew comic books. So I think in this case, you know, times have just so dramatically changed and what they thought they were doing is creating, you know, funny books for kids. Now these have turned into billion dollar generating IP and I could see why you would be disappointed because there was no clause, obviously, that said, hey, if we take this and, and do something completely different with it, then and, you know, becomes this incredibly valuable intellectual property that you created that something more should come of it. But uh, I wonder if we will ever see that. I, I think, you know, it would be very chaotic if the famous characters in a universe like the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe all those rights reverted back to their creators or their creators' heirs, and then all of a sudden they could sell them to the highest bidder or move things around. Obviously, that would be extremely disruptive to you know Warner Brothers, Disney, whomever is doing this stuff when they're trying to plan a crossover universe. So I could see why they're wanting this to be shut down fast, but it does really raise the case of, you know, what is the... Not just what is the legal thing, but what is the ethical thing? I know in some circumstances there have been, you know, that's why they started putting, uh, you know, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster's name on Superman comics many years back was to give them credit. You know, they and, you know, they wanted more than, you know, obviously compensation is one thing. They certainly wanted to be paid more fairly for the creation that they made. But they also wanted an acknowledgement that, you know, this character didn't just come out of nowhere, right? 
came out of the heads right, of, right. of a you know a Canadian and a guy from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, um, I just read while you were talking about that um, that Scarlett Johansson and Disney have reached a settlement. Oh, interesting. Did they, yeah. Did they disclose terms? I'm guessing no. Nope. But nope. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if we'll ever know how that played out. Yeah. I don't know. She was asking for a lot, but she, it was I believe she's asking for a hundred million dollars. Or fifty million, it says according to the article. Oh, was it fifty? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought I had seen a hundred, but yeah, I mean, either way, that is a substantial sum that she was seeking. Whether or not she was obviously given that is a different matter, but sure. I don't think she'd right. be hurting for a while. No, well, no. Next up. Next up. Well, we knew that we were getting a changing of the guard after this upcoming season of Doctor Who. We knew that. We were going to get one last season of Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. We knew that the showrunner, Chris Chibnall, was also planning on uh, taking off after this new next season. And there was all kinds of speculation as to who that could be. And this week we found out it is Russell T. Davies again. Uh, Russell Davies famously was one of the... Uh, architects of the return of Doctor Who back in 2005 and he did you know run that for uh, a, a little while he did the Christopher Eccleston sort of reboot and he worked on the David Tennant stuff he also then helped spin off into Torchwood and uh, yeah I think it's an interesting uh, development that he is now coming back to this this project that he is pretty well known for and it makes you wonder what that might mean to have somebody who's come back for a second tenure to sort of see what they might bring back to the table so i'm i'm curious i'm i'm i can't say i've loved every moment of chris jimble's stuff although again i haven't hated it either i i really do like jodie whittaker very much although i haven't felt like her stories necessarily take advantage of her talent but I'm I'm willing to obviously watch the rest of, of the, the run and see how that goes. I am curious, especially because it is going to be kicking off of the new Doctor, what to see what uh, what Russell can do for us. Tim, you're a Whovian. Good? Bad? What do you think of... I mean, you remember those seasons uh, well. I mean, I don't know much about him, but I, you know, I, I do know that, you know, I, I was glad when Doctor Who came back because I did enjoy it, you know. As a as a character and that kind of stuff, and and it was it was interesting the the reboot. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, let's see. The uh, the was it the guy who was during the Matt Smith era Moffat, I think. Yeah, Stephen Moffat. Uh, yeah. So he far, was, he's he probably in my high watermark, I would say, because he was some of Tenet and and all of Matt Smith, which is I think so far my favorite chunk of the new Who. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I've, I've never really been a big huge fan of. The Doctor changing, but I mean, it has obviously, you know, gotten better and worse over time. But, you know, I've always liked the Doctor. The Doctor always kind of grows on me, you know? Yeah, I mean, the different interpretations. It's it's jazz, right? Somebody takes the, the, the riff and runs with it. I, I have some Doctors I prefer to others, but, you know, even the ones that I haven't liked as much, I've liked. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. more trouble with some of the companions than the Doctors, frankly. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's that's another thing too. They changed too, and and yeah, some some of them are odd, and I mean, there've been some some interesting developments. I don't think there's ever been a companion that I, you know, couldn't stand. Right? Um, they were pretty they were pretty tame in the early days, though. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Next up, 
We have a cast list for the Super Mario Brothers animated picture that is coming in uh, 2022. Oh, animated. Okay, it's not... Mm-hmm. It is animated. It doesn't make the cast list make that much more sense, uh, but it is <laughs> a little bit more sensible when we get into it. So I'll, I'll give you the real quick rundown. So Mario will be played by Chris Pratt, Star-Lord himself. Uh, Peach, Princess Peach, will be played by uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Charlie Day uh, from um, uh, It's Always Sunny is playing Luigi. Jack Black is playing Bowser. Keegan-Michael Key is playing Toad. Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. I love that one. Uh, Fred Armisen is playing Cranky Kong. I don't know what that is. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson is playing Kamek. Sebastian Manscalco is playing Spike. And uh, there will be surprise cameos from Charles Martinet, who is famously and has always been the voice of Mario from the video games. Uh, and as this article points out, I'm looking at the one we uh, have up from Gizmodo. It says, no, this is not a joke. It's real. <laughs> so uh, interesting, interesting cast list. Uh, does any of this stand out to you guys? Or is anyone you're terrified of? Jaime, are you, uh, are you in or are you out? This one's really weird because I don't know. All right. So I, I, know, I know the youngins will be like, oh, well. You know, Mario sounds like, woohoo, ha-ha. You know, that's like the, the Nintendo 64 era onwards. But longtime fans, um, OG folks will know, well, the only representation you had of, of voice acting as to what Mario would sound like is Captain Lou Albano from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show <laughs> from like the late 80s, early 90s, probably. Yeah. Uh, real, real close in there. It's like, hey, Mario, Luigi, let's go get some pasta. You know, that sort of thing. So, uh, Italian stereotypes, yes. Yeah. So I kind of wonder where, you know, (laughs) I don't see Chris Pratt necessarily being uh, an obvious one there. But he was in the Lego movie, right? He was. And he was great in the Lego movie. But he was playing a freshly original character there, which was his. This is a beloved icon, although. Yeah, I look at some of these characters and 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 see to me it I think it's more important to have somebody who's an experienced voice actor play a character in an animated show, right? Like like Charlie Day I could see it, Jack Black I could see it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um Seth Rogen is like you're going to know it's Seth Rogen, like, you know. But like Anya T- Taylor-Joy, why? <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> it's stunt casting. That's that's what most of this and I'm not disputing that they aren't that you know they could be yes, talented it's, voice it's actors the, they're building on the name mm-hmm. exactly they're building on the name but really yeah. that's what they're doing yeah that, that's that's all they're doing yeah. yeah and so to fill in the the blanks because you asked on cranky kong cranky kong started out from the donkey kong country series on the super nintendo that was uh, the, yeah. the sort of the, the grandpa oh father the old, okay. old donkey kong one as yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. like the the strapping young buck played by uh, seth rogan yeah yeah yeah, now that you mentioned, I remember that character. I was just know he had a name. There you go. All right. Next up, uh, I threw a couple of trailers up for us to have a quick discussion about. The first trailer that went up was the first look at the Sandman, which is coming mm-hmm. to Netflix. And the Sandman is arguably the most acclaimed comic book series of all time. It is, is that Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman's uh, seminal seventy-five issue comic book series started in the late eighties and ended in the nineties. 
It uh, tells the story of Dream, who is one of the endless, these uh, sort of representations of all of these aspects of humanity, death, dream, desire, destiny, delirium. I'm trying to remember them all now. And uh, it is an incredible comic book. If you have not seen it, uh, uh, not read it, rather, please make the effort. It is totally worth your time. It is really, really, really beautiful and interesting and complex and uh, just an absolute, absolute treasure. That being said, it has been years and years and years and years and years that they have talked about how this could be realized outside of its original medium. What could they do with it? Could it be movies? Could it be a television program? How do they bring it to life? And now it's finally coming to Netflix, which is really kind of funny, all things being equal, given that Warner Brothers is DC. DC is uh, comic books, and DC comic books is what published in the first place. You'd think that HBO Max would be a good place for it. I'm not sure how these deals work out. Obviously, they must have gotten huge uh, compensation for the rights and everything else. But anyways, the first trailer went up, and it shows the... So one of the first scenes from Sandman number one, almost verbatim, from that comic it seems very very true to that first book we see a an occult ritual happening wherein a group of uh acolytes and a a cult leader are calling down they're going to capture death themselves and they perform this this ritual and instead of pulling death down and and imprisoning death they end up in capturing imprisoning uh dream and as i say it is it is really 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 close to shot for shot scene for scene panel for panel what we see in the first issue of sandman which gives me incredibly high hopes that we're going to get a faithful adaptation to a degree of the comic and i must say I'm, i'm curious given that i don't think either of you have ever read the property what your impressions were just based on that taste. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're right. It did sort of lay out the the sort of foundation of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I watched it, it was just sort of um, interesting. But again, like, you know, I've seen the Sandman, cover, Sandman covers over the years. I've never really read it. I know you were a huge fan of it growing up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it's an interesting thing. I've always wanted to go. I mean, like, you know, when you went into it, even like as an artist going into a comic book store with you, over the years, you know, the Sandman covers always stood out as something, like, amazing. Yeah, looking, I mean, Dave you know? McKean is an absolute genius. He did every cover for every issue, and uh, he's an incredible yeah. visual artist. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if he... Again, I, I was wondering if the, the cover translated into the story or, or you know, in terms of the, the look and feel and quality of it, right? So It was an interesting yeah. series it, it, in that it, light just because they had a rotating series of artists it wasn't just one writer and one artist throughout the whole thing it actually it was quite a number of different artists that worked with neil on the books and each sort of artist brought something different and told different aspects but i think that was kind of the point it was supposed to be telling different different dreams right different stories different different views different dreams it actually really kind of worked with the the storytelling style so it, it was really actually kind of some series really benefit from continuity. You know, you've, when you start at the beginning and you get to the end, you know, why the last man Pierre drew 
most of it, not all of it, but very much most of it. Uh, Preacher, Steve Dillon drew, uh, you know, almost all of the, the Preacher stories. In this case, it actually, I think it was actually a much better thing that there was different artists because it really did accentuate the differences between the chapters and the parts of the story. Right. I mean, what did you think? I'm not familiar with the property, but when I see uh, Tywin Lannister in the, the trailer, I'm like, all right, sign me up. <laughs> this dude usually does good stuff. So Charles Dance is an incredible actor. He was, I think, the best actor on Game of Thrones. So that, yeah, right. I think that's a that's a real sales pitch. Mm-hmm. 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 He doesn't tie himself yeah, to, very to very crap very much. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a seller for me, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, right. I must admit, I'm really curious to see this now. I mean, I knew that it was coming and it was in development, but now my interest level is, has shot through the roof. I think that's probably the property to which I'm most excited uh, coming to television over the next while. You're not afraid of it like I am the Foundation? Well, we'll talk about Foundation later in this episode, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, okay. I guess that's the thing. If you love something like this, you always do worry that somebody will take it and go a direction you're not comfortable with. Although I feel like Neil himself is pretty involved with this as well as, you know, seeing this and knowing that, that this is very close, I think gives me hope that maybe they're on the right track. Too bad they did not give us a date. They literally just put this out saying coming soon. But yeah, my appetite is wet for sure. The other trailer we got was... A more fulsome trailer for Stranger Things Season 4. We had gotten one before that was very much a teaser trailer. And this one is also a teaser, but it actually has a little bit more of the characters. Still not a lot to determine in there. Um, Any thoughts on this one? I was a little confused because it seemed like like a totally different kind of series, you know? Uh, the, The first parts, you know, more like a haunted mansion sort of thing until you get the 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 grandfather clock at the end that seems to transition into the upside down mm-hmm. so at least they're trying new things though right like that's definitely got some 80s vibe to it still a, a different kind of 80s movie but uh um i don't know i've, I've enjoyed stranger things uh, to varying degrees um you can't say mm-hmm. they didn't work on it for a while <laughs> they've been filming slash making this for years now it's been two and a half years i think since the last season yeah, all of these kids probably have the Norelco razor out in between each take because <laughs> their beards need to be shorn clean again. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you know, the the kids have grown up and they've got this sort of this backstory that they kind of paint with the with the house that they go to investigate. You know, mm-hmm. um, I didn't quite get the upside down in the trailer. Did you, Jaime? It's at the very end when they show the grandfather clock, just kind of uh, yeah. mysteriously there and then it like turns blue the, the whole background turns blue and you see the weird organic roots or something mm-hmm. growing on it oh okay okay yeah and and the uh, almost like uh, i don't know i forget what it is in the upside down it's like ash or snow kind of particles falling from the sky yeah. all yeah. over the place yeah it really didn't show many of the characters other than, than um the, the one that does the sherlock holmes impression and the older boy um but like, did we, did we see all the other characters? Are we do we know they're all coming back? Or yeah, everybody's back. Everybody's back. Yep. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, as as Jaime pointed out, they're all adults now. But yeah, are they adults? No, I mean, no. Just, that's just what it feels like. Again, the, oh, yeah. the problem well, it's like with the, the Harry Potter thing, they started as little cute little you know eleven year old kids, and yeah, you know, after a few years, they're like strapping young teenagers, right? So. Yeah, I, I genuinely, I, I haven't looked up all their ages, but I would not be surprised if a few of them were, yeah, pushing adulthood. 
Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, one of them's in um, uh, Free Guy, right? Plays a character in Free Guy. Which? The movie we just saw in, in New Brunswick. Yeah, I know. I'm trying yeah. to remember which one. Oh, Gilder, Joe Keery. Yes, Joe Keery. Yeah, yeah, I think he yeah. is an adult because he was, obviously, he was older. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was already, like, you know, high schoolish kid in, yeah. in the first series, right? Yep. Because he had a car and all that stuff, right? Yeah, and he's, I think he's graduated in the most recent season that was on season three. Mm-hmm. All right. We throw over to Jaime for one story. <laughs> <laughs> um, one we've got here is the the very first almost teaser shot that shows you nothing but gets you hyped of uh, The Last of Us. So HBO's TV mm-hmm. series starring Pedro Pascal and um, Lady Mormont. I forgot her name. I know it's in there. Bella Ramsey as the 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 um, the Joel and Ellie characters from The Last of Us game. It's uh, a zombie apocalypse kind of thing, but with, you know, spores and fungus that's, that's causing the the infection. So it uh, it looks good so far. I mean, I'm like, yeah, it kind of looks like the video game from, from this angle. You just see them, the two main characters, um, sort of looking out on a field at, at uh, like a crashed airplane or something in the post-apocalyptic world they live in. Cool. Yeah. I look forward to it. I haven't seen that. I've never played the game. and I've only, I know it's quite popular with people, right? So... Is that PlayStation or was it both PlayStation and Xbox? Uh, PlayStation, uh, pretty sure PlayStation only because it's a Naughty Dog, which is a yeah. second okay. party title yeah, uh, yeah. Group, uh, studio, if I'm not mistaken. So. Well, no, they actually, I think they're owned by uh, Sony. Are they first party now? Okay. I thought they, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. I, I just did a quick, uh, a quick look. Only two members of the cast are under the age of 18 of Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, Noah Schnapp. And uh, Millie Bobby, Millie Bobby Brown. They're the only ones underage, and she'll be 18 in February, and he's only 16. Mm. But everybody else, Finn Wolfhard and uh, Galen Matarazzo and Caleb McLaughlin and Sadie Sink and Joe Keery and Natalia Dyer, like all of them are all... Uh, Joe Keery, by the way, we were... <laughs> he's 29. 29. 29, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. He plays uh, the hair, the hair Harrington, yeah. 29. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, and to be fair, uh, Noah Schnapp's birthday is a couple days from now, and he'll be seventeen. So, yeah, we're we're, right. we're looking at a bunch of uh, people playing down their age a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, and it's not supposed to be like next year, right? Uh, I think. Oh no, you mean in the continuity of the show? I don't think so, because the the last season ends with people moving away, and yeah, I think this picks up like months later, or probably a okay, while later, right? right. Cool. My next thing is that we're getting a spinoff officially of The Boys. So okay. they had talked about that there was a possibility that they would do this, and it is now official. It is not titled yet, but we are definitely getting it. Amazon has ordered the spinoff. They are the ones who released this news themselves. It is going to be an quote-unquote irreverent R-rated series that explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups and college set at the oh, only college really? exclusively for young adult superheroes run by Vought. Hmm. Yeah. Is the boys coming back for season three, though? Do we know? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, they've okay. been doing their uh, social media campaign where they have YouTube videos of um, some of the main characters, you know, as themselves doing music, like Starlight and uh, A-Train doing their mm-hmm. own music videos. And then they also, oh, yeah. every once in a while, do these... Um, 
like Fox News, cable news style um, talking heads shows of like, um, uh, uh, like what's his name? Uh, like Tucker Carlson style oh, yeah, yeah. show that's like in the, the Vought News Network sort of thing. Uh, it's sort yeah. of recapping mm-hmm. what, what's happened in the world. So getting you ready for the next season. And yeah, I saw that the, I follow a couple of the different cast members on social and they were here, obviously boys is filmed here in, in Toronto in the Toronto area. They were posting. Yeah. Like we're done. You know, they were posting pictures of like, you know, them out at the, the bars in Toronto and stuff like that saying like, we're celebrating the end of the season. Yeah. 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 So hopefully I'm um, obviously there's gotta be a bunch of post-production stuff on a show like that, but hopefully we'll see it sooner than later. Cause that is a fantastic television program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now they'll have a spinoff. Uh, next up, we're getting a reboot of Babylon 5. First, a show of hands. Who here has watched Babylon 5? Does one episode count? I am, I'm going to say yes. One episode counts. Because that, <laughs> yeah, that is one more than I've watched. If we're going by that measure, I have seen several episodes of Babylon 5, uh, not in any particular order, and for a highly serialized series... Um, Maybe less so for nowadays, but certainly by by the era, um, that's a little confusing. Although um, I did have a friend in, um, gosh, when did this come out? Uh, I'm going to say it was middle school to high school, maybe middle school era, who was like really into it. I was a Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. fan and never shall the two meet, I guess. That's how that worked yeah. back then. Yeah. So. so it ran for 110 episodes and then seven TV movies, including the pilot. And it was much beloved by the people who did follow it. Uh, the creator, J. Michael Straczynski, who uh, I've had an opportunity to meet and and uh, and, and talk with a few times, uh, is, is, again, much beloved, famous uh, creator, writer. Uh, and he is going to be the, the uh, writer of this project. So people are, I think, a little excited about that, that it is going to be back. They have not, uh, um, yeah, I, I, it's apparently coming to the CW in the States. So again, what that means for us here in Canada, I don't know. CW shows here often end up on things like Netflix or on Showcase or, you know, Space Channel sort of spread to the four winds. So whoever buys the rights. So whether or not or where we'll see it here, I imagine we will see it here eventually. It'd be interesting. I can't say I'm particularly excited, given that I have not seen any, but I do know that this is something that a lot of people are sort of way in on. So I don't know if this is inspiring me to want to go see it or not. I, I probably inclined to say no. It always looked like uh, the sort of cheap knockoff version of Deep Space Nine to me. The graphic elements never looked quite as sharp. The costumes and the makeup never looked quite as sharp. It always just felt like uh, the, the dollar store version of, of Deep Space Nine to me. But again, I, I know that that is obviously a, a biased view that that is not shared by everyone. So Yeah, I think I might have watched the pilot now, now that you say that. But um, yeah, and I think I, I don't know that I've, I can't think of a single episode that I made it all the way through. Like I might have watched it on like flipped by and watched a bit of it, but um, it just it just never. I mean, I mean a bunch of guys stuck in the middle of a space somewhere, you know, having adventures. And, you know, I, 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 it sounds like you know, like you said, it sounds like Deep Space Nine, and, and the question is like, why would I watch that? And yet I did. So, <laughs> um, 
You know, and it's funny. I interviewed somebody on on uh, the, the other podcast, um, Heroes Journey, and we always ask them, you know, whether they like Star Trek or Star Star Trek or Star Wars. And uh, we've had one guy say uh, answer Doctor Who, and the last person we interviewed for the end, end of the season show said Babylon Five and defended it. Hmm. So you know, I don't know. I guess it, it it does have its audience, right? So well, you can at them maybe and tell them that uh, more is coming. Oh, I'm sure they know. I'm sure they know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Last up, uh, we'll wrap up our headlines with this one. So uh, I have the story from reputable news source TMZ, but it has been around on a whole bunch of different platforms that uh, William Shatner, 90-year-old William Shatner, is going up in space on the Jeff Bezos uh, phallus rocket. And he is, uh, yeah, apparently... Going to actually, Captain Kirk is actually going to space. He would, this uh, trip, should it come to pass, is going to be the oldest person ever to go to space. And apparently he is going up uh, in October. So stay tuned, folks. Could this finally be the end of Captain Kirk? <laughs> oh man, can you imagine if that, if we end up jinxing it and that ends up happening? Oh Gorns? Like, is he going to encounter a Gorn or something? Uh... Will he enter the Nexus? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's counting on. He's going to get up there and then he can uh, he can do that. I don't know. It's yeah, it's something. I mean, he's the second guy on Star Trek to actually make it to space, right? Yeah. Well, in fairness, James Dewan's ashes are floating around out there somewhere too. That's so, what I meant. Yeah. He's the second guy. Yeah, so, yeah. Know, James Dewan got there first, but. Alrighty. Well, guess what, kids? It's that time of the show when we start talking, we switch our gears and start talking about Star Trek. This time we're doing Lower Decks, Season 2, Episode 8, I Excretus. Excretus? Excretus, yes. I Excretus, yes. Starring Boims, Becky, Rutherford, and Tendi. So. Yep. Yeah, I just love the idea of calling uh, Beckett Mariner Becky. Uh, that, since that came up a few episodes back, I, I do that in my notes now. I call her Becky. It makes me laugh. <laughs> So uh, we're going to try something a little different this week. We'd love your feedback, but we thought maybe we'd try uh, doing a little bit of a different recap. So I'm going to sort of hit the high notes here and then uh, we're all going to weigh in. So broadly, this episode is about the crew having to go through a series of drills that are supposed to test their abilities. The, The wrinkle on this is that the crew is getting their roles flipped, so the Lower Decks crew are getting to try out being captains and chief medical officers and chief engineers and and things like that. And the senior officers are going to be tasked with all the different uh, occasionally mindless, menial, frustrating tasks that are given to the uh, Lower Deckers. And uh, so we get introduced to this character her name is shari shari is uh played by aisha tyler whom i love deeply and truly from her uh, role on Mm -hmm. archer and so many other things and she is the uh, drill administrator she basically sets them up with these hollow pods they're supposed to go in they're supposed to do these missions and uh it is supposed to test you know evaluate the ship and each one of these adventures is is uh, not each one, but a lot of them are based on very famous Trek moments. So we, you know, right. and they're all they get a score like out of hundred percent. That's right, that's right. And so they're basically they're being scored and evaluated. They can see each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so each in turn, we get to see you know Mariner do some. We get to see Tendy do some. We get to see Rutherford do some. 
And we get to see Boimler do the same one over and over and over again because he keeps trying to up his score. Uh, some of these are fantastic. We'll talk a little bit in the, in our next part of this uh, about which ones we like the most. But mm-hmm. uh, but broadly, you know, they, they the lower deckers get put into these very funny situations. The the senior crew get put into very funny situations, and uh, in the end, they realize that they're kind of being uh, set up to fail. That the the instructor was basically trying to prove her worth by by finding a crew that she could. Uh, sort of decimate with these <laughs> these really really tough tests, and uh, and they end up sort of turning the tables on her and showing her that you know life out here on the frontier isn't necessarily about the same thing as these drills, and she, her tests are really not uh, a fair look at how good the crew of the Cerritos is. Um, so I'll kick things off, and we'll we'll talk about some of the sort of the high points we we liked. Uh, you know, some of the tests that they were giving Mariner were hilarious. Uh, you know, she is so sort of rash and impulsive. Uh, you know, she at one point gets one of her tests. She goes to the mirror universe and her first move is is to go. And um, instead of completing her mission to find her way home, she decides she's going to go and uh, try and take over the ship and, and loses points. And then she uh, she ends up um you know, basically getting getting caught and failing her test in in pretty spectacular fashion, but uh, but fun to see the mirror universe pop in there. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, the funniest one, of course, I think was was Boimler. Uh, Boimler was trying to get his mission was basically escape the Borg. And he had to, you know, get away from the Borg, being on a Borg cube. He tries it the first time. He, he you know, actually manages to do it, whereas as all his colleagues kept failing and failing and failing, he actually manages to accomplish the task, but he feels like he can get a higher score. He keeps going back and doing it and just gets more and more convoluted as he goes. He ends up at one point uh, taking some babies, Borg babies with him. And he starts taking prisoners. And uh, in the culminating one, he uh, ends up, beating the Borg queen at a game of chess and teaching her empathy, all very, very funny gags. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that whole sort of story was very funny. The other one was uh, Mariner doing the naked time. Well, let's go through some of the, you got, you've got this, the, the different drills here listed. Sure. So why don't we go through them just to see what they were, right? Yeah. Kobayashi Maru, which one was that one? So they didn't actually do that. So this was, this was, was all these oh, things okay. were listed on the uh, board when the driller oh, okay. was oh, okay. doing that. So she was basically giving them all the scenarios. She said, you know, they're all basically named after... Star Trek, famous Star Trek episodes. So Kobayashi sure. Maru, of course, is the, the famous test from Star Trek II. Uh, Time Trap, Triple Troubles from Q to Q, Borg Encounter, Cause and Effect, Natural Selection, Evolution, Survival of the Fittest, Chain of Command, Hero Worship, Carbon-Based Units, Naked Time. And these are, of course, all very memorable episodes of, of TNG and of, uh, of the original right. series. And... And then, of course, as they go through these different ones, you know, Rutherford's task in one of them is to basically relive the the scene with Scotty and and Spock at the end of Star Trek Two, and he, he can't even get the door open, which is very funny. Uh, we do get a Star Trek Three uh, homage at one point where they're supposed to be stealing the Cerritos from space dock and going and rescuing Spock on on the Genesis planet. Um, 
you know, again, mirror universe, the Borg, uh, you know, Tendy's one where she ends up getting to do the, uh, she's the chief medical officer and she's supposed to, uh, help this paralyzed Klingon. And she thinks she's supposed to be sort of providing him with support, but he, what he really wants is to die an honorable death. Uh, that was really, really funny where she's offering to use a syringe to sort of help him just sort of die peacefully. And he says, no, take this blade and stab me through the chest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and then when he falls off the table, the other doctors rush in and say, why haven't you killed this man yet? You know, it, just, it was really, really funny stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think they were all they were all really good. The naked time was a real highlight where... <laughs> Mariner ends up in the Naked Time, which of course played out on the original series, also played out on TNG. It's a virus mm-hmm. has taken over the ship. It has lowered the entire team, uh, the entire crew's inhibitions, and she has to figure her way out of it. She ends up going into the sort of ten forward bar area on the Cerritos, and everybody's naked and paired off and doing uh, unspeakable things around. to yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the thing that finally tips tips her over the top is when she looks over at the bar and sees a spread eagled Boimler on the bar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just again, this show really loves to push. But like the, the lines, like "Hey, that's an anus," you know, when she's <laughs> looking in the corner. The, yeah. This uh, the little the little vignettes, the little mission stuff was so funny. Uh, the, some of the jokes were were really really on uh, really a lot of fun this time. Uh, she goes to a Wild West one at one point, Mariner does, and uh, she tries to find the saloon and she can't. And then she uh, ends up getting stomped to death by a horse. Um, and then we get the tables turned because when we get to see the the bridge crew doing the lower decks jobs, they are, you know, thinking it's going to be a piece of cake. They're down there saying, "Why, wow, you know, why do these people complain so much? This is great. So easy. And then when they find themselves just like the lower deckers, when there's an important mission happening, you know, they're supposed to be having a conflict with the, the Klingons and they're basically relegated to, you know, box stacking duty, um, which had one of the best and funniest lines from the episode <laughs> with Shax saying, if they want us to stack them, why do they make them like this? And the, all the boxes are hexagons. That was very funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, at one point, the commander sort of pops his head in the door. The, the hollow commander pops his head in the door and says, have you seen Q? And, oh, no, the Jem'Hadar, I got to go. And, and of course, they are feeling what the, the Lord X crew feels every single week, which is, oh, man, we're left out of things. We're out of the loop. We don't get to... To, you know, but we see, still have to stack the boxes. Yeah, that's it. Like, why are, why are we stacking boxes when this yeah. is all going on? Um, yeah. yeah, I thought I thought this was a funny, funny episode. Lots of great Easter eggs. Really, really funny. The some of the scenarios that they they cast the different characters, and then just keep keep tagging back to Boimler, going after the same mission over again. It was so funny. And in the end, he he basically ends up getting sort of brainwashed. He thinks that he actually gets assimilated by the Borg and thinks he's yeah. excretus of Borg or Borg poop. And no, no, they put an implant up my. Alice Creed played the the queen as well, right? Oh, was yeah, it actually? It was they, actually. They, they brought Creed. her back for that. I looked That's at the credits to see funny. if it was her. I thought it was her, but I I didn't have time to actually go and check. That's great. Um, yeah, it's when she leans in and she sort of says, you know, you almost pass for human, just like she's talking to Data when she has Data chained up on uh, Star Trek First mm-hmm. Contact, and he says, I am human, and she's like, oh, then you need to drink more water. <laughs> yeah, your skin's awful. Oh, it was uh, yeah, it was a yeah. funny one. I mean, and also the the Tiana and and Shaq's, you know, 
getting it on during naked time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Tan and Shax seems to be quite paired off. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening there. Yeah, I missed the whole. Uh, I don't know why. What was what I was must have been distracted by something, but I missed the section where they go back and so um, Becky and and uh, Captain Freeman they this they they're sitting in the ten forward and they they determine that you know they think that the, the purpose of these tests are you know to build a crew morale and and um and you know get them all you know working together kind of thing and so they go and try and tell the tester that and she's like no way i just wanted you guys to fail like, and, <laughs> and so they they uh take her onto the bridge and they do a real simulation and they fly into like the crystalline entity and every scenario that mariner is looking for in the you know, over Tendi's shoulder to see what's available for them to go and show her is like, you know, crystalline entity versus this and crystalline entity versus that and yeah. the planet being consumed by crystal entity and crystal entity on crystal entity action and <laughs> you know, it must be crystal entity week or something she says and and then they finally go over to seat to one and, you know, of course, you know, the the ship's running into all kinds of anomalies and and the the testers Aisha Taylor's character is freaking out, right? So Yeah. Which is funny. Well, and she gets yeah. her just but, desserts, but, right? She uh, she was messing with them by making these yeah. almost impossible tasks, trying to basically say, oh, you know, uh, you know, I, I actually matter and here. She we be, need to do this. She gets boimed in the end because they, yeah. they, they fool her, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Jaime, what was the what were the high water marks for you? Um, of the different things that they had to do besides the, the Borg babies being pulled out of the drawer that we've talked about before from <laughs> like the TNG baby drawer kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I liked Rutherford's, you know, um, uh, Wrath of Khan yeah. you know, engineering. Like he's got to go, he's like, ah, the door's burning and saying, he finally figures out to use his boots, yeah. his gloves. But by then it's too late and you see the Enterprise explode. <laughs> That's yeah. That's pretty, pretty good. I did like the follow up to that one where uh, he's he's sitting around having dinner with uh, with Mariner and Tendi and Tendi saying, you know, oh, I didn't didn't realize it was going to be so hard. And I didn't didn't realize that we were, you know, you know, he's put in these situations and so brutal. And he says, well, at least you didn't blow up an entire ship. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And also they get the at the end of it they get the, the the bridge crew gives them a new replicator so they can make more than one slice of pizza at a time kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and Tendi's like you know and they you know she's you know we can have what is it uh, what's the Italian the dish oh pesto she she's she, excited about pesto pesto yeah yeah she wanted to get pesto she's really impressed by that yeah yeah and the lobster mac and cheese that's it, with the crusty top I didn't understand the the sort of the line where Boimler at the very end of it says they took so much away from me he's talking I guess he's talking about the board right he, he, he like, says he they took like, everything that I was. So he's so like he's so involved in this in being assimilated. At the end of it, he becomes Icretus of Borg, right? Excretus, um, yes, feces. Excretus of Borg, and and he's you know when they pull him out of the out of the the hollow deck thingy, he still thinks holopod. I guess it is. Yeah. He still thinks he's been assimilated. Yeah. Like, was that realistic for him? Yeah, right? so. I think I think because he did that, he did it over and over again, and that last part got so vivid where he was sort of taken prisoner and and assimilated. Yeah. I think. Yeah, the idea is that that for him it was so real. What happens is the the scenario is that she says to them, you know, as long once you've done the test, you can't go back, and your 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 scores are locked in. And then that's when Mariner realizes that Boimler's still running the scenario because he keeps going back to try and get a better score. He eventually gets to a hundred percent. Yeah, and they, you know, they at the at which point they, you know, Captain Freeman orders him to keep going on the simulator, and that's how he ends up getting 
assimilated into the Borg and things like that and put on the, the table with... Uh, and she even blows on his cheek like she does with Data. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but the, you know, the... The fact that he's still running is is sort of what gives them time to sort of go through and and uh, and get this woman to change their scores because they're not locked in until it, as long as one scenario is still running, which is why Boimler's asked to keep going, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, and it's funny that he's the one that manages to pass while everybody everybody else fails, right? So yeah, because he's you expect him to be the first one to fail. Yeah, <laughs> of course Mariner fails because she's like bullheaded and just you know. Yeah, another uh, high water mark for me in this episode was when Tendi is is cast as the uh, the chief medical officer, and she's dealing mm-hmm. with that Klingon, and she sort of says, you know, oh, I don't want to kill you, and then she sees her score go down and says, oh, okay then, well let's send you off to Stobocor, and basically winds up <laughs> like she's gonna stab the guy with hypo spray. <laughs> she was yeah. just like, oh, I have to do this to pass. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, it was, again, super funny, super funny episode. Uh, Lots of just great opportunities to sort of uh, bash on. And again, it was one of those great episodes. We were talking about the last few weeks. We've gotten a lot of little pairings, right? It's, you know, it's the the typical sort of uh, Mariner and and Boimler. It's the the Tendi and Rutherford. This one, everybody, including the bridge crew, was in on. Everybody got lines. Everybody got gags. Everybody uh, was together on sort of one big group. Uh, it was fun. I'm also thinking about yeah. the fact that, you know, we saw the mid-season trailer and a lot of that content was in this one episode, right? Yeah. That kind of looked like, oh, oh they're yeah, going to do yeah. a Mirror Universe episode. Oh, they're going to do a Borg episode. And it was it was all the same episode. Yep. Right. They, they fooled us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't even mention the cold open, which was one of the funnier ones. Yes. That was actually really good where we see, uh, the you know, the lower decks crew, Boims, Becky, Rutherford and Tendi. They're out for a spacewalk. They're repairing the satellite. They're admiring the beauty of the universe as they're working on this thing. Meanwhile, on the bridge, we get this, you know, report. Oh, the Baker Bakersfield's caught in temporal loop, uh, temporal causality loop. You know, we better go investigate it. <laughs> they basically just bolt. And, you know, Mariner says, and they left us. And, you know, where are we at with air? A lot? A little? Where are we at? And they're like, oh, Teddy says, don't worry about it. They'll be back in a couple of minutes and we'll all have a good laugh about it. And then the thing pops up on screen that says six hours later. <laughs> yeah. And they're frozen. And they're yeah. frozen. But, he, but even when they're getting the, 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 you know, the other ship is stuck in the time loop and, and the ensign says, oh, I've just got a distress signal from distress call for them. Oh, look, here's another one. Yeah, here oh, is look, here's another one. <laughs> the time oh, loop. Another one. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That sounds like a time loop. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, that was so that was so good. Still my favorite trek so far of all the new stuff. It's so good. And I'm yeah, I can't believe we're down to two episodes left. Really? Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this was a good one like from the point of view of like all the sort of you know the tropes that that oh, the yeah. Star Trek tropes, you know, the, the western world and they just, you know, they didn't do the uh you know, you know, the original series had all these sort of scenarios where I think they would, you know, recycle sets from Hogan's Heroes and stuff oh, yeah. like that. To, well, and they were shooting on a lot, people. right? So they were like, what can we yeah, use from the lot yeah. to save some money this week? Yeah, exactly. Well, here's the, you know, the 70s or the, the 1920s gangster era yep. car. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. look, we have a props from a, from a World War II movie. Cool. We're going to have Nazis this week. Yeah, but it's funny that, that you know, like they they do that too. But then you also get um, other movies where they put Easter eggs in the movies, right? Like um, in Blade Runner, there's a Millennium Falcon, um, you know, and in uh, the the Phantom Menace, the ship from 
the pod, you know, the, the, yeah. the pod ship that, that Dave goes to rescue the other astronaut with, that's in, in the junkyard at the, what's the name of the, the flying character in that movie? Uh, the one that um, Jake works for, um, Anakin works for. Oh, Watto? Watto, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Excuse me, I know need, need to go do some shots so that I can forget that I know that. <laughs> poor guy, you poor guy. All right, are we ready to talk about what if? So what if Jonathan got what he wanted, which is what Clemmy put on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if Jonathan may have had some force haters to this all building towards a certain direction? Yeah. So what if this week was what if Ultron won? What if Ultron won uh, the second Avengers movie and actually had gotten the body that he wanted that instead of the mm-hmm. vision becoming the vision? If he got his uh, body and then had control of the Mind Stone and basically launched all the nukes, killed all the people, took over the Earth, and then started thinking big picture and took over the universe and then started taking over all the universes. And this ties into last week's sort of uh, denouement of the Party God Thor episode where we see this sort of... uh, Vision, Ultron, Space Knight character emerge from a portal and and Thor and Jane Foster sort of saying, hey, the what now? And in this one, the the character of, of Ultron basically becomes omnipotent to the point where he kills all life in his universe and then mm-hmm. realizes that he can actually see the Watcher watching him and then basically starts to take on the watcher and then realize that he can actually continue his purpose and go and take over all of the multiverse if he if he wants to. And he pushes he has a fight with the watcher and he pushes him through multiverses as he as he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool fight scene. Really interesting as they're like basically smashing right. through the barriers between all these multiverses and uh yeah it was So I mentioned I mentioned earlier that that uh, when you watch the the opening credits you see the voice actors who mm-hmm. are going to be on the show and from that you can you can surmise who's going to be in this and but in this episode spoilers for those who haven't seen it there's like a reveal at the very end mm-hmm. which ties into again to the the whole sort of thing that you were saying like these all tie together um and that is that Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch comes back and plays the evil or the you know the the survivor um yeah doctor strange doctor supreme strange. yeah yes is that what he's called it's what people um, on the net have been calling him okay yeah so and and you know the watcher basically says i need your help and i guess we're we've got a couple more episodes to go of this this series one, as well right so one one more one more this season oh okay yeah so this is this is to to resolve the what are we going to do with uh, so the Watcher and Doctor Strange Supreme are going to join forces to go after this Super Ultron, right? Yeah, and then there is this sort of other plot that sort of starts and then sort of fizzles out, where the, sort of the last couple of survivors of the Avengers are Black Widow and Hawkeye. They mm-hmm. realize that there's a possibility that they could they could try and find this way to defeat Ultron, even after he's already decimated planet Earth. So they right. go on this mission to basically upload Arnim Zola, the the, the digital digitized uh, Nazi scientist, and use him mm-hmm. to take down Ultron. They upload him into one of Ultron's uh, hive bodies, 
and then they think they're going to sort of you know upload him across the the universe and take out all the ultrons but they realize that that uh, ultron isn't even in their universe anymore he, by then he's already moved on to the multiverse so i guess we'll see in the final episode of the season you know maybe we'll get the return of captain carter maybe we'll get the return of you know some of these other versions of these characters yeah, that we've ask seen what happened to captain marvel in this one like I know she was fighting him at one point, Ultron, before he finds the Watcher. Did she get dispatched or defeated? Yeah, or? yeah. I think she's okay. she's basically in that fight on. I think it's Xandar. I think she basically is defeated. Smote. Yeah, yeah. He basically okay. becomes too powerful. At this point, he's got you know the the powers of a yeah. god. He is not just Ultron, but he's Ultron Vision and the uh, Infinity Stones all wrapped up into one package. The fight of Ultron, Mega, Mega Ultron versus uh, Thanos was also a high water mark uh, for this right. episode where yeah. he dispatches he Thanos in, half, in yeah. a nanosecond yeah. by uh, uh, slicing him in half uh, with the laser. That was pretty funny. You'd think that Thanos being Thanos, he would have anticipated that, but eh, why, why split hairs at this point? Yeah, he just splits Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> Good episode, bad episode. You guys happy that this is actually sort of going towards a culminating point and isn't just sort of one-offs? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's I have mixed emotions about that because I mean it is interesting to see that they, they kind of tie together, but it was sort of interesting to to see it from the point of view of individual different scenarios of what if this and what if that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the fact that they all kind of tie together into one cohesive story, you know, kind of takes away from the what if scenario like where you know you can have different pairings or different different endings and beginnings but the fact that they all have to tie together that's a, a little disappointing i guess and in, in some ways but yeah yeah because it takes away the randomness how about you Hamid? did you like or dislike the idea of this all sort of culminating i i liked it but i i think what i had mentioned before when you were initially concerned of like about you know is this going to go lead anywhere before this episode came out um I was perfectly okay with it being snackable entries of of cool stuff, and uh, I think it still holds up pretty well as that kind of idea, but I'm kind of interested to see what they do here now that they've tied different stories together. Yep. And we're headed into a a Marvel dry spot again, too, because we've got one more week. That'll be the first week of October, and then we're waiting till near the end of November before we get Hawkeye, so we'll have a little little marvel gap for a while which is uh it's funny because it's been such a busy marvel year between all of those those different things Hmm. right i have a question for you guys did you watch any more of the star trek visions i saw one more i saw episode four which is uh what is it called the the princess or the bride or something like that yeah i I watched part three i watched the twins that's uh that's all i have had time for this week yeah, was it the ninth Jedi? Was that the second one? Uh, is that the second one? Second the one is the the, the one's kind of more the first kid one. The the kid friendly right. one where they're the band. Yeah, it's the rock and roll band is the second one, right? Oh, the rock and the roll one band, with yeah. the, that, and yeah. then the third one is the the twins who have the they were created cloned as dark side twins and stuff like that, and they have the big fight. I've uh, I have to ask, and so I'm I'm curious, and I think I know the answers, so. I'm going to say, Tim, you watched all of them in English so far. Jaime, have you been watching them in Japanese or English? You know, I've been watching them in English by accident because I didn't think about... Uh, I've been watching them with, with subtitles. You've been watching them in Japanese with subtitles? With... Yeah. Is that not how you watch them? 
So uh, we watched them. I think it defaulted because when we put put it on, it didn't even occur to me. And so we just watched them in English. And I was like, oh, really good voice cast. Like uh, in the twins episode, the twins are played by Neil Patrick Harris and Alison Brie. And I was like, oh, cool. And then uh, my son Xavier and I were watching that. And we were like, it's strange that for anime, shouldn't it be in Japanese? And so we went in and, of course, turned the subtitles on. Uh, into English and turned the voice onto Japanese, and I was like, "Oh, this is so much better." And yeah. that's how I've, I've been watching it. I've been watching it in. Um, uh, I always have subtitles on, so maybe that that's why it defaulted that way, right? Oh yeah, maybe. But yeah, I must say, I, I actually enjoyed. We watched. We, we weren't even going to keep watching. We were, we watched almost all of the twins sort of back to back because we watched it in English, and then we were like, "Why aren't these in Japanese?" And we watched started watching in Japanese, and both of us were like, "Oh yeah, that's so much better." Hmm. And, and again, I'll great to voice check cast, because still, yeah, I just went with whatever the default is, and I guess it defaults to English. I'll double check the next time and see about uh, changing the language and see what that's like. Yeah, no, it's uh, it seems more authentic. I don't know, maybe I'm just well. That's what I, didn't, I didn't realize you could watch it in English, but you know, I've been just watching it with subtitles. But the um, the ninth Jedi is the fifth episode. That's as far as I got. Oh, okay. Yeah, I figured because they're pretty short, I figured I would just sort of chip away at it when I have some extra time. But I yeah. I did actually watch a couple other things this week, which we'll talk about when we get to our watch list. Cool. Well, why don't we get there now since we're at that part of the show? Good deal. So how many are up first? So mine is... Uh, what is Another that? Picard song. It's not a song, but it is a collection <laughs> of, of uh, clips here that goes on the premise, how often does the warp core really fail to eject in, in Star Trek mm. series? So this isn't perfectly up to date. doesn't seem to have, uh, you know, lower deck stuff, um, but it goes over the failures and the successes of when did they say, let's eject the warp core? And notionally, I would say it, it only happened like twice is what I thought. And I was actually surprised at how many times it was successful. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it never occurred to me to count. But yeah, it is a trope. When we talk about tropes all the time, it's definitely a trope. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's so much so they, they so much so that they even used it in the in with the model in in lower decks, right? Yeah. yeah so this does not include uh, any any lower deck stuff. Um, but you would think that for something that is, is is so volatile and dangerous, you would think it would be sort of like you have to have it actively held in the ship, otherwise it wants to eject itself. Sort of like, um, to make an analogy, you know, if you or I were trying to be like a sloth and trying to hang onto a branch, we have to actively try to hold onto the branch. They have their muscles set up in a reverse way where they have to actively try to open their clawed hand so they can just spend no energy whatsoever hanging onto that branch. I think mm. the same kind of design thing should happen here of like, it shouldn't be, oh no, we are unable to eject the core. It should be like, oh no, the stupid core keeps ejecting. Somebody go put some <laughs> duct tape on the damn thing to keep it in there. You know, yeah. like it shouldn't be uh, the, the kind of trope that it is if you were looking at it from a, a design standpoint. But that, that's what makes it fun and exciting, right? Oh, let's eject the worker. Oh, we can't, we can't, it's going to explode. Yeah, that's pretty funny. So my watch list this week, two things that I made time for. So well, this is stuff that I would recommend as watches. Uh, I watched the first two episodes of Foundation, the new uh, Apple TV Plus series based on Isaac Asimov's uh, legendary, iconic book series. Uh, I'll start my, my uh, uh, thought here by just asking, did you guys both watch this this week? Yeah. I did not see Foundation, no. So I... 
didn't know what to expect because I must admit it's it's never really been on my radar. I knew mm-hmm. historically, obviously, what an important piece this was. I knew that there's a, a, a legion, particularly of, due respect to him, older uh, um, fans who were, you know, grew up reading Asimov and, and revering him. I was curious to see what they would do with this property. I must say uh, I've enjoyed what I watched so far. I don't know how faithful it is, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to Tim for that in a, in a moment. But I will say it looks beautiful. It is very much um, visionary. I found that there was a lot of elements in there that were very unfamiliar to me. I didn't feel like it was derivative. I didn't feel like it was, oh, I've seen that on so many other science fiction programs. It felt unique, which is, is I think, the highest compliment you can pay to science fiction. Um, whether or not it is true enough to make... Uh, longtime fans happy or whether this is more a loose adaptation that is supposed to sort of, you know, take these things and run with them in different directions to sort of, you know, sort of spur new ideas. I, I'm not sure, but I will say that it was good enough watching two episodes that I feel like I would I would watch more. The only small nitpick I will have is that the the uh, Empire character that Lee Pace plays Lee Pace is, uh, is an interesting way of delivering his lines and it's a little bit um, um, robotic. I don't know, just a little little in, in, unusual choice as far as the way he's portraying that character. But uh, mm-hmm. I thought a lot of it was really good and, I, and I'm definitely going to stick with it for a while anyways and see if it uh, it continues to grow on me. Tim, what what were your takes on for Foundation? Well, so first of all, just on the Lee Pace thing... Um, I remember when you first watched The Matrix, you didn't like the way, you didn't like the way Agent <laughs> Smith talked. <laughs> to the point where we were Mystery Science Theatering that thing in the theater while it was playing. So I, I watched I watched something on The Matrix a little while ago, and it was sort of a, a, a video essay vlog kind of story. And and it's it's interesting because the way that, that Agent Smith speaks wasn't the decision of the actor Hugo Weaving. It was actually meant to be that way because it's supposed to be indicative of the fact that he's in the Matrix mm-hmm. and he's part of the Matrix. Like in the Matrix, if you notice, next time you watch the Matrix, all of the scenes in the Matrix have a green tint. Mm-hmm. All of the scenes in the real world have a blue tint. Right. Right. So, so the, like the colors play an important role in in, the, in that film as well. But I mean, but the way he speaks is is it's meant to be. It is meant to be extremely robotic. That said, um, so I I am enjoying this foundation. I am really enjoying it. It's it's really it's a really interesting thing. Um, however, I'll tell you that um, probably sixty percent of what's been portrayed on the screen is not even in the books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, this whole story of the three emperor emperor people and like which one's really in charge is like sort of the dad emperor and the son emperor and the baby emperor but they're all this they have all the same power and but they're not father son and yeah. grandson they're, they're clones, brothers yeah. or something they're clones yeah, yeah. They're, they're all clones of the yeah, original that, emperor and they're all supposed to be basically a triumvirate right yeah so so again not in the book um that whole i mean and, and i mean it's been a long time since i read them but but that was something like that was something you would remember i do remember the harry selden character i do remember the whole psychohistory thing and he which they, i don't know if they really covered it very well in this in this portrayal but i mean 
in the book, he decides, like he gets in trouble with the emperor empire because he predicts that they're going to fall apart mm -hmm. and there's going to be like 30,000 years of turmoil or whatever, right? And because um, because the math points that way, and it's interesting how they point, kind of they really really kind of position it as the math, and and they have this sort of um, you know 3D sort of the map surrounds you kind of thing like they did in in the the Star Wars the, the second the third series of Star Wars movies where they had the the map that R two D two has, and it kind of just fills the entire space, you know. Mm -hmm like a holographic map, right? It's sort of that, that they portray the math that way, right? And that, you know, obviously we're too dumb because Harry can see the, the patterns and the girl, the main character in the story can see the patterns. Again, I don't remember her in the book either because the, the idea was that he decides he needs to get these encyclopedists together. He's, he wants to gather these brilliant minds and put together the Encyclopedia Galactica. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, I don't know if that really was sort of brought out to, to bear in the movie. and, and Yeah, they, the they made, they it, they made a point of that, that that was sort of his goal was, like, yeah. to be exiled so that he can then do this thing. Yeah. Well, in, in the book, the second empire is, is on Terminus, right? Like, like that, or second foundation, that's where he, he secretly does that, mm -hmm. right? Because he's afraid that the, the empire is going to, like you know, foil him. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that part, that part's interesting. And the whole, you know, swimming in the water and the, you know, the, the relationship she has with his assistant, not in the books. And then, cause I remember, I'm I think, guessing I remember she's probably that, like, not black in the story or never referenced. Oh, I don't know what color, I don't know what color anybody is in this, in, in the stories. Cause back then it was, you know, it was, it was like 1942 is when he started writing these short stories yeah. and put them together into the book and, 51 was foundation right so mm -hmm. and that's a long time ago for science fiction and and <clears throat> you know there was no you know the the it was written out of out of asimov's mind and and i don't know where he was in terms of where how he saw society at that point in time mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. right like you know we hadn't we hadn't gone through the 60s we hadn't gone through the 70s you know yep. uh, america hadn't learned to look back at itself i mean they had just gotten through a war you know mm -hmm. and they were happy to be alive but um you know, and, and that's Pulp Fiction in the 50s was very much like that. It was sort of, you know, um, what was I reading something? that I heard something the other day, or was it you, I think, said on the podcast last week that the they didn't have to worry about the science, right? Is it, was it you saying that, or where did I hear that? That, you know, the best thing about science fiction writers is they didn't ever have to worry about the science. They just had to make up stuff. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, you know, we have, we've come to build it ourselves, like replicators and transporters and stuff like that. Anyway, um... So it, it it's an interesting interesting thing that they're sort of so the first two episodes spoilers for those of you who haven't watched it, is sort of the the discovery or the the reveal of of um uh you know the psychohistory the the reveal of the fact that he's gathering these these brain people smart people and they focus in on one girl in the story right mm -hmm. um which is which is a, a good convenience for well she's the audience avatar right she's show. the the person who sort of yeah seeing this all through the eyes of oh i can't believe this is happening to to me and yeah and explaining yeah exactly as she goes and she's sort of in a sense she's sort of the harry potter the luke skywalker kind of you know yeah um, never expected to be in this position campbell yeah. hero position right yeah. so i mean that's that's kind of interesting too the fact that harry harry um selden is killed spoilers folks sorry <laughs> in the second episode <laughs> you know like that that's that was you know Again, he dies on Terminus. He doesn't die on the way to Terminus in the book, mm, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, 
you know, um, like, like, cause you know, the, the second book, I want to say the second book is, is like 50 years later kind of deal. Right. Mm-hmm. So she's going to be quite an old woman by that point. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I, and like, so I, and when I say book, I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean the like foundation, the second foundation. I mean, the foundation book, I believe it's in two parts. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's, cause, cause I remember there's also this, the space travel part is like, I remember, I think I was telling you before that there was a sort of, um, the second, the second story in, in foundation is about these space truckers, you know, yeah. um, there's a song by deep, deep purple called space trucking. I wonder if that's got the idea from there, but, but it's about, okay, now we're, you know, we're, we're, how do we fill, how do we populate the galaxy? How do we get stuff out today? Sort of like the Amazon of, of that time, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it's about this one guy, this, this one guy's narrating the story about, he's the guy who's been shipping stuff out to people, right? He's the trucker, right? Right. And, and that's kind of sort of where we are in the second, second story, because now they're on the way and it's going to take eight years to get there and so on and so forth. Right. You know, cause they have to go so far. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, uh, you, you gotta, I mean, you, you can cut them some slack in terms of where they're going with the story. They haven't disappointed me from the point of view of, of like, ruining the story that they have taken some license with it but i mean like you said they kind of got to do that to translate it from written word to to something visual right it is like you said amazingly beautiful wonderful you know the terrorists had to hack in the in the beginning i'm not going to give that one away but that's an amazing sort of thing like you know like mm-hmm. when they first get to uh trantor trantor turns up in in a lot of the stories like it's it's the center of the universe mm-hmm. right um or center of the galaxy i guess because it comes up, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when Luke Skywalker says, if, you know, if, if there's a dark, if there's a, the furthest uh, distance from the, what is it, from the brightest point in the galaxy is, is that's what Tatooine is, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that con, that convention came from Foundation. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. found, you know, the, the whole concept of there being a central, you know, like Corsicant to me, oh. Corsicant is trend. Coruscant, yeah. Right? Yeah, Coruscant, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, again, I think it's it's a good start. I'm I, I'm glad they dropped two episodes at once so you can sort of get a little more immersed. I think it definitely ends on a pretty good cliffhanger the second episode. So I think, you know, people who are neophytes would definitely be, you know, hey, where what where's this going? What's happened? And and want to come back for more. So yeah, that's that's a good start. Yeah, I gotta say too that the the Apple T V shows sort of have a polish, you know. But typical of Apple's kind of work where they, where they, you know, they they sort of have a, a bar, like a high bar. They they really sort of put together, you know. I I don't think I've watched a show on, I mean, maybe a concept of a show that I didn't really like or whatever. But there hasn't been a show on Apple TV that I haven't thought this is top notch stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you think? I mean, I've watched like, less than you. Hi- I think at... Jaime, I think, is probably a better judge of that. He's probably watched more Apple TV Plus stuff than I have. Yeah, I think they do we'll a even see, pretty good job, yeah. and they, they definitely spend um, money. It has a particular cinematic look uh, for a lot of the, the Apple TV Plus stuff. I've not seen this other than trailers, whatever, so I can't really uh, go, go deeper than that on this. But uh, it certainly didn't look cheap from what I saw. Yeah, it does, ha- it does have a, some polish, you know. Whereas, you know, you get sort of things on Amazon, they're like, oh my god, like, did, could they have spent a few more dollars to make it look a little better, you know? <laughs> Like some of the documentaries on Amazon are pretty weak, right? They're like they're they're most like you know high school presentation kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm enjoying the foundation. I think it's 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 I think it's definitely worth watching. See where it goes. I'm sure there are people who are like true blue, you know, Asimov 
Foundation fans who are just, you know, throwing stuff at their television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you always get that with, with long-established, especially literary properties, you know. There are people who are going to love it, people going to hate it. You know, I'm coming at it from a different perspective. I enjoyed it. I would recommend it. And I guess we'll see how it plays out. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll be proven that this is not the right way to do it, but so far, so good. The other thing that I've got on the watch list is, uh, well, last night... Botcast goes to the movies. Yeah, last night, on a whim... Uh, Tim and I and uh, and my eldest, uh, Xavier, decided we would uh, foray back into a movie theater here in the uh, greater Toronto area for the first time to go see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, We uh, are have a a national holiday here in Canada today. It is the day for uh, truth and reconciliation, a day to uh, recognize the, uh, the relationship between the indigenous peoples in Canada and Canadian settlers. And uh, both Tim and I were given the day off. Um, That being said, I was actually working on some indigenous health issues uh, today during the day, but um, for the organization I work for. I'm wearing my orange shirt today, too. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think was overdue, and I think uh, Tim and I both feel like this was uh, an important day and a really good uh, starting point, anyways, towards where we need to get to as a, as a culture. But outside of that, both of us were, were, were given the kindness of a day off from work today. So last night we were speaking and sort of said, you know, hey, you know, it's a Wednesday night. Do you want to go see this? It's probably not going to be too busy. Well, we really kind of underestimated how not busy it was going to be at the movie theater last night. We took a look to see if there were seats available for the uh, IMAX showing of the late show of Shang-Chi. And it turned out that the three of us had a 422-seat IMAX theater to ourselves. So for the low price of uh, of sixty Canadian dollars for the tickets and another uh, fifty dollars worth of snacks, we basically rented out an IMAX theater for three and watched uh, Shang Chi on the big screen. Wow. And yeah, it was great. I really liked it. I, I thought it was a really good movie. I would highly recommend uh, watching it. And, uh, you know, obviously you, you have to use your own judgment as to whether or not it's a safe environment for you to, to venture out into the movie theater world again. Here in, in Ontario, uh, they have implemented a um, requirement for places like cinemas where you must be vaccinated. You must show proof of vaccination in order to uh, access these kinds of buildings to the point where when we came in before they asked for our tickets, they asked for our proof of vaccination. And uh, we had to show that proof before we could go in. And uh, yeah, I never felt unsafe. Obviously, having the theater to ourselves didn't hurt, but never felt unsafe, never felt uh, like we were putting ourselves in jeopardy to uh, to enjoy this experience. And and we're rewarded with uh, what I thought was a really strong first, um, you know, Shang-Chi adventure. Yeah, and it was interesting. Like, it, it seemed to have a lot of conventions of, you know, sort of, uh, Japanese, Chinese, Chinese fight movies. Yes, you know? it definitely had uh, House um, of Flying Daggers kind of vibe at times. Yeah, and it had different, different. I think a different sort of story plot point, right? Like, cause, I mean, you know, it, it it did follow some sort of conventional, you know, Marvel kind of stuff, but it, it also borrowed a lot from from Asian cinema too, right? Oh yeah, no, it was definitely um, influenced by that for sure. Yeah. And a lot of you know, a lot of Asian Asian stars. Michelle Yeoh was in it, and 
Emilou and Aquafina, you know, they they sort of they 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 were sort of the novices and they played the novices in the story too, which was really really good, you know. Well, it was interesting because it was a real um, like cross generational thing too, because Simulu, obviously Canadian, uh, he's our guy, yeah. we love him, and Aquafina, obviously yeah. uh, an an American uh, of Chinese descent, but they also brought in uh, Tony Leung from uh, to play the Mandarin. They brought in Michelle Yeoh. These are two just absolute stalwarts of Hong Kong cinema. Tony Young, this is his first like major Hollywood movie, but I mean, he is the guy in Hong Kong cinema. He is as mm. big as it gets as a, as a Chinese movie star. And yeah, it was a real sort of, you know, cross-cultural, even within the Asian community, it was a cross-cultural thing because obviously, you know, Canadian uh, uh, of, of Chinese descent and an American, it was, you know, mixed with this, you know, the the old school people. It was, yeah, it was really cool to see. And it was, it was good. It was a good picture, too. It was really enjoyable. It hit some nice beats. Simu Liu is a star, like unquestionably is a star. He was really, really good he was charming he was funny he was heroic he was he was really good again we, tim and i won't spoil anything we're not gonna get any plot points obviously but um yeah it was it was a really fun ride and it was a nice picture to see on a big screen there are some really cool uh set pieces um i found the first and second acts a little more enjoyable than the third act the third act is as is in a lot of these movies sort of a big um a clash a conflict um, which had some really cool stuff, but it was really not as interesting to me as, as some of the earlier stuff. But yeah, I, I thought it was mm-hmm. really, really enjoyable flick, and and um, it was. I'm I feel really uh, grateful that we were able to to have that experience in a theater again. It was really cool to sit there with with you and and uh, Zave again, and and have some popcorn and and feel safe and be actually out there so you know i guess this one's for the scientists and the researchers and the medical people uh, who have worked so hard over the last 19 months thank you we really enjoyed the movie yeah of course Jaime has no comment <laughs> yeah i uh i think i will just wait the seven weeks um it, i mean <laughs> if i could know for sure it was going to be you know two people in the in the theater um certainly i'd yeah. go but for our case, I'm like, I, I can wait till it's on Disney Plus, you know? Yeah, and I think so okay. that's, it's got to be your own personal choice at this point, whether or not you feel it's a safe environment to do that. And I, I think, you know, we we completely understand that perspective. I, I don't think I'd have felt as safe even a couple of weeks ago before this new uh, vaccination, proof of vaccination system came into place here in Ontario. I don't think I would have felt as comfortable uh, even though I know, obviously, the cinemas are, are saying all the right things, that they were doing all the right things, that the, the levels of cleanliness and everything else were being maintained, I still feel like there was a higher element of risk there. Um, I think you got to make your own call during these circumstances, but uh, I'm very happy that we we did get that chance. And and given that the, the given that the trailers that they showed us were for the new Spider-Man movie, the Eternals movie, the Dune movie, and the new James Bond movie. All of which I would really love to be able to see in the theater. I uh, I don't know that we're going to find ourselves in an empty theater again, so I don't know uh, how we'll we'll play mm-hmm. those ones out. But they all looked really really good in the trailers on a giant you know forty foot IMAX screen. I missed the Dune trailer. Was that before Spider Man? I think that's uh, no Spider Man was first, and I think you went to go grab a hot dog, and they showed the Dune trailer, and then. Then they came back and showed the Eternals, and then they showed um, oh, James Bond. Oh, when I went out to get our food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and the Dune trailer looked really... I mean, Denis Villeneuve makes beautiful movies. They really are impressive-looking films. Mm. And that looked incredible on that screen. Cool. All right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? Where do they find you? I'm on Twitter. It's at Dev of the Hair. All right, and John, people can get in touch with you. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. All right, and my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll, I'm bound to be. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is CNN. What's that? Oh, I just thought the James Earl Jones thing was kind of cool. Oh, wrong show. Right. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. <laughs> and we're the ones who call ourselves the masters. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Tell, hi, May. We came home last night after the movie, and uh, it was pretty late, so Tim crashed over here. We came in the door, and my little year and a half old dog, Sintra, just <laughs> barked at Tim for like 15 straight minutes. You're a monster. You get out of my house. Mm-hmm. She was not impressed by his visit. <laughs> nope. Is that the first time that uh, you've gone over, Tim? No. No, I go all the, all the time. Okay. I usually, I usually been. I'm usually with Carol, and Carol's like a dog person. Like dogs just see her, and they just like yep. run up to her, and she just you know she has a way of talking to them, and they just they just she's a dog whisperer. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was so funny because again yeah I think it was just for her it was out of context it was late at night and uh, yeah we sort of came in and she was like oh boy dad's home oh boy xavier's home and what the hell is that and just yeah. was not having it mm-hmm. but she warmed up eventually but yeah it's just, it's just the circumstance too i think uh i think i'm not alone in having that pandemic puppy syndrome where i know i've talked to a few of my friends who just say like my dog is a jackass loving sweet beautiful thing around the house but so badly socialized doesn't like other people doesn't like other dogs like yeah because they never spent any time with other people or other dogs or strangers or anything else because they were just home for their first you know year year and a half getting close to two years of of their lives they barely interacted with anybody nobody else has tried to pet them or or Mm -hmm. you know do anything so now they're just kind of this whole crop of pandemic puppies who are pricks my my little one's never been to a dog park not ever and when we take them out for walks we make a point of walking on the opposite side of the street we see someone coming we'll switch sides of the streets because the pandemic so yeah yeah who knows maybe there's still time to reform them as we finish up this um this recording here i'm 
looked at the news, I'm like, oh my gosh, the Seattle Mariners are tied for the second wildcard team with the Boston Red Sox. It's well, yeah, the Yankees beat the damn Blue Jays again. The Blue Jays are just choking their way out of this after such a great run and had to come to an end. But yeah, yeah. I've just was... been watching the entire AL East and hoping they could all lose somehow <laughs> so that the Mariners <laughs> can continue moving up. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I still have that. You know, I want to believe, but I'm like, it's the hope that kills you. It's it like, is. It kills you. <laughs> Yeah, I think honestly, I feel like the it's funny because we, we we talked about this a little bit when the Raptors won the NBA championship a couple of years back. I think everyone in the city of Toronto is so used to having your hearts broken by particularly the Maple Leafs. I think all of us were just in a state of shock that they actually won. And I feel like that's been the prevailing attitude this week towards the Blue Jays was, you know, they were right on the playoff bubble there heading into the last week. They had a big series at, at home against the Yankees. And I think everyone was just like, oh, this is still going to go badly. Like, I think we're all just just feeling like there's no way this is going to happen. It never happens for us. I think we're all just so used to having our hopes crushed that we were just preemptively being like, well, we'll have them crushed again. And yeah, that's actually proving true this year because they just lost two out of three to the Yankees and they're pretty much cooked. It's pretty so wild. go Mariners. I wish you nothing but well. I if if you guys can sneak in there over top of one of those two stinkers, I have very little affection for the Yankees and, and Red Sox being in the same division for them with them for the last forty years. So if you can take one of those spots, we will happily put our our uh weight behind Mariners uh and, and hope that they do well. Yeah, I have no ill feelings toward the Blue Jays. They see a lot of their fans travel really well here in Seattle. Oh yeah, yeah. There's tons of blue shirts uh, every time they come into town, so you kind of yeah. kind of get used to it. And yeah. uh, um, I don't know if this shows in uh, changing sports a little bit here, but I realized that I saw the news that the Amazon All or Nothing series is yep. getting the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yep, so they filmed that watching all that. during last season. There were there was talk about it during the season when they were filming it, and I think they were filming it based on the expectation that you know this team, the way they position things with that all Canadian division, and that they had all these young stars, that this was going to be like a let's film them as they you know rise towards the top. And of course, they did what the Leafs always do; they found a way to pull. Uh, a devastating loss out of the chance victory ended up losing to their arch rivals, the Montreal Canadiens in the first round of the playoffs and uh, ending in, in utter humiliation and just an absolute horrible taste in the mouth of the city. And it's funny because the season, the, the training camps have kicked off. As you know, the, the preseason is kicked off in the NHL. We're only uh, a couple of weeks away from the start of the season. And I think every Leaf fan is like, I don't, want to watch this i don't want to relive this this sucked i don't think any any leaf fan wants to see a behind the scenes how was last season if i if i see a smile on any of their faces i'm going to break my television set like <laughs> i i hate the idea of this series i i don't want to have anything to do with it yeah i can definitely understand that when you have um Stuff like that. Like, so when they did the, the Dallas Cowboys and it was on one of our down years, like, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, can I can you imagine anyways. if they did one on the like 116 game winning uh, Mariners team that like everyone was like, this is the greatest team of all time. And then they got knocked out in the playoffs. Like, yep, how yep. heartbreaking would that be to be to have to relive that? You'd be like, oh, that's awful. I don't want to watch that. That's like 
That, that's my idea of a clockwork orange torture scene. <laughs> the good thing for these series, though, is that they do focus a lot more on the the people stories. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, the the, the games are background, so you know they they had the New Zealand All Blacks. So I know nothing about rugby, but I was fully entertained by by that series because mm. it focused mostly on the on the individuals. So I, I will if you look at it from that perspective, maybe that's it helps. the only thing. And, I, and I've said this to some of my uh, uh, friends and colleagues who are diehard Maple Leafs fans. I think one of the challenges nowadays is that, you know, so many athletes are sort of programmed from a young age to sort of speak in sound bites and be careful what you say and everything else. I think this is probably the most talented group of hockey players that this Toronto city has seen in 50 years. There are so many amazing, talented players on that team, but I don't know anything really about them. And I don't, I can't say that I feel strongly other than their athletic prowess. I don't, I don't feel strongly about them. I don't feel like these are my guys and I, I'm living and dying by their, you know, I just, I don't feel a connection to them. So maybe this will help humanize them. As you say, maybe this will make me feel more connected to the, to the Austin Matthews and the Mitch Marners and the Morgan Riley's uh, of the team. But yeah, I guess we'll see. Dalish. Yeah. Is this the year, Tim? Do you believe? (laughs) I believe every, I believe every year and then they, they, they disappoint me. Yeah. But losing to the Habs in the first round, ugh. Yeah, well, they they gave a good run. No, the Habs didn't go very far either. They made though, it to so. the Stanley Cup final. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I take that back. Yeah. Does that mean that the Canadians could or the the um, Leafs could have made it that far? I don't know. I mean, it seemed like it was one of those anybody's year kind of moments, but I don't know. I mean, it felt like things were lined up really well for a deep run for the Leafs for the first time in ages. They weren't going to have to play, uh, you know, Tampa Bay in the first round or Boston in the first round. They were actually going to have a chance to sort of avoid some of those incredible powerhouse teams that they've been so stuck behind and they still managed to, to find a way to craft themselves. So hopefully mm-hmm. maybe today, maybe this year is the year, maybe they'll finally get over it. But I've been saying that since I was five and it never is. So, I'm starting to come around to the the perspective that, uh, you know, it just may never happen in my life. It's happened in your lifetime, although you weren't a Leafs fan at the time, but uh, it just may never happen in my lifetime, and I guess I have to be okay with that. Well, it happened in my lifetime, and I wasn't a Leafs fan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You you were in Montreal, maybe, I guess, at that point, but... Well, I just landed in the country, so I was nobody's fan at that point. I was a Montreal fan because all the kids at school were Montreal fans. Well, and then then when you were in Montreal, they reeled off like cup after cup after cup, and then you moved to Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. Well. There was that. See what happens when you get us talking about hockey, Jaime? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to watch those uh, intro videos on the interwebs and be like, icing, that's that's for cake, right? That's right. That's right. That's like frosting, right? Offsides, that's... um, that's when you move past the line before your actual offense has started moving, right? Okay. I, I, I keep waiting. Yeah, I keep waiting for you to uh, turn the offsides rule into the one from Ted Lasso. Can you explain to me how that's offsides? No, seriously. Can you explain to me how that's offsides? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I still don't really get it. All right, gents. Yeah. Pack it in for another week. See you later. Right. Talk to you Talk later. To you. See ya. Yeah, bye. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.